The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, fathers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, mothers, let's go down. Come on down, don't you want to go down? Come on, mothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sinners, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down in the river to As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Last Thursday, it was about two o'clock in the morning, May 16. I was awakened. I got up and began to pray. And the question that was burning in my heart, what do you want from me, God? What do you want from me? I prayed for some time and then went back to bed. I was awakened again about 3.30, I once more went to the prayer closet, began to cry out to the Lord, what do you want from me? There was no answer from heaven, 
I went back to bed. I slept till about 6.30. I again got up and immediately made my way into the prayer closet and began to cry out to God once more, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? And immediately two scriptures came to my mind. The first is found in Matthew, the 22nd chapter. I'll begin reading in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And then this Old Testament scripture found in Micah, the sixth chapter, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for joining me today. I pray that as I share with you the struggle of my heart, that it will open a vista of understanding for you and draw you into a deeper place with Jesus and call you to make some choices and decisions. Everything in the Christian life is about what choice you make and what choice God makes. Let's pray. Lord, as we come, O Jesus, as we come to your word, would you be plain with us about what you want? Not just what your requirements are, but what you want from us. Lord, I love you. And I desire to walk in the depths of your presence. Lord, thank you. Would you bless each person who is tuned in today? Lord, there was a hunger in their heart or they would not have come to this broadcast. No one comes here casually. For, Lord, we go into the unvarnished real truth of the gospel. So I pray today that as we do this, you'll be very close to each one who's listening. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Now, as I sat Thursday night in the prayer room, communing, praying, waiting on the Lord, some things began to be very clear in my mind. 
First, that what God most wants is found in Micah 6, 8. Number one, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. This is not new to you or to me. The emphasis that the Spirit of God put on this scripture for me, however, was a quite a new emphasis. And that is to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. The last three words struck me with your God. What does God want from me? He wants me to walk with him. I began to think and pray about what happened with Adam and with Eve in that Garden of Eden. God would come in the cool of the day and walk with them and commune with them. This was the pre-incarnate Jesus. He was the creator, according to John, the gospel, the first chapter, Hebrews, the first chapter, Colossians, the first chapter, all tell us that Jesus was the creator God, that in the beginning God, but it was in the beginning Jesus. And so he's saying, yeah, walk justly, love mercy, humbly with your God. And thinking about that Garden of Eden and and Jesus coming and walking with Adam and with Eve in the cool of the evening, fellowshipping with them. And then the tempter came, the serpent, the dragon, that ugly thing came and touched right on the vital point of every human heart. And that is, will I be in charge of my own life or will Jesus Christ be in charge of my life? And Eve and Adam chose to be in charge of their own lives and to determine for themselves what was right and what was wrong. The problem with that was that they were not God. But this has led in total rebellion against the Almighty God of heaven. And so now today, we come to Jesus. We call ourselves Christians. And yet, we maintain for ourselves the right to thrust ourselves out into circumstances and the world in relationships and do what we choose to do because we're taking care of ourselves and then we've gone the next step we have taken the gospel message of Jesus and we've twisted it to our benefit for winning strategies for success for comfort we have twisted it to help us as we remain 
in the condition of Adam and Eve where we're basically in charge of our lives. Now, what I'm going to talk about today is so radical, I don't know how to even begin to talk about it. But it is a transition from the ways of Adam and Eve into the ways of Jesus where we have totally disowned the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we walk in Jesus Christ. Now, this is so difficult to even talk about because most of us have spent most of our lives living in the world and absorbing all of the things of the world, the culture of the world, the entertainment of the world. All of the things that Satan has enticed the whole world to follow after. And so there's a fundamental question. Do I live in the world and take what I can from the gospel of Jesus to encourage my heart to help me to walk in the world, giving me principles to live by and strategies to live by? Or have I made the transition into Jesus where he now dwells in me and I dwell in him? And the world has no part in my life. How do we even begin to talk about this and describe this I know there is one essential element that we've got to get a hold of this is not about a list of do's and don'ts don't go there don't watch television don't go into the violent movies don't 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 that's not what this is about This is about my place of residence. This is about where I live. And if I live in Jesus, I am disgusted by the arrogance of the world. Ah, let me be more honest than that. We're disgusted by our own arrogance, our own sense of entitlement. I'm deeply saddened as I talk with many people who are so into their entitlement and their arrogance that they walk through the earth as though they owned it and owned everything else and owned themselves, not recognizing with humility walking with God. I've done that and the Lord has been humbling my heart and saying don't walk like that Ray you don't own the world your life is very temporary and he's been humbling my heart before him and I see the the frailty of the human flesh and the hopelessness of the human course of action determining for himself what is right and wrong. 
There is only salvation found in Jesus Christ. Everything else, as the old song said, is sinking sand. So this transition into walking with God, it's at the very heart of what I'm trying to talk about. We've got to get close to God. We've got to get very close to God. We are called to withdraw ourselves from the noise and the hubbub, the clamor of the world of unbelief and sin, and get alone with God. We're called to close our ears to the whispers of evil men and plead the blood of Jesus as a barrier against the suggestions of the devil that will constantly come to us. We've got to get alone with God. We've got to pray for the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from sin, for the heart, for your heart, my heart, to be made clean and pure, a pure heart before God, To do that, we've got to get alone with God. The scripture tells us that the word of the Lord is a power that sanctifies us. We find that in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. So with all of my heart today, I cry out to you. Get close to God. Let him sanctify you. Let him make you into a new person. And the, the coin of this realm that I'm speaking about is called faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans, the 10th chapter. I want you to think about this for a moment. The divine heart of God is that you would walk with him, that you would become one with him. And this oneness comes by hearing the word of God, by reading the word of God, by getting close to God. The heart of God is that we would walk with him. Now I ask you today, are you in the dark? His word, the scriptures say, is a light under your feet and a lamp under your path. Are you sick today? Are you suffering physically? Well, he sent forth his word and he healed them. Are you hungry and crying out for that which will really satisfy your soul? Well, the scriptures tell us man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So are you lost? Are you groping in the darkness? Do you see yourself slipping down? Are you on sinking ground? 
and you've got to get close to God. Now be honest with me. Some of you know you are backslidden. You know you're not walking right with God. You're still playing with the unclean sexual stuff. You're still going to the violent video games. You're still sitting for hours watching the wickedness of the television. You're going to have to decide. Because if you're honest with me and you're slipping down, you know you're slipping down toward eternity's night. And only... By getting close to God, can this be turned around? The word was made flesh. It dwelled among us. This is the miracle of the incarnation of Jesus, where he came, wrapped in swaddling clothes, pressed into the woman's arms in the manger in Bethlehem. You've got to get close to Jesus. That's a choice you make. Will you choose to get close to Jesus? And the way you get close to Jesus is you begin to spend hours reading the Word, praying, praying constantly. This is the power of God to save you. But apart from the presence of God, apart from the person of God, you cannot be cleansed. You cannot be changed. You've got to get alone with God. And I'm telling you today, God will not disappoint you. Get alone with God. He won't let you down. It's of great import that you make a decision today about whether or not you're going to get close to God. My cry to him was, Lord, what do you want from me? His answer, get close to me, Ray. Read the word. Cut out all the unnecessary activity in your life and get with me. Get close to me, Ray. I'm doing that. I've cut out all the unnecessary things in my life and I'm spending my time reading the scriptures and praying, getting close to God. And as he shows me anything that's out of line with his will, I repent of that and ask, please change that in me. And he's doing it. Now I I want to focus for a few minutes on what I opened with. There is a transition that will begin to happen as you get alone with God. The word of God sanctifies you. It makes you holy. It changes you. 
changes your attitude, changes your perspective on life. You go through a paradigm shift. You don't do this yourself. You choose to get close to God and God will come and get close to you. So this scripture in Matthew, the sixth chapter. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Well, the problem is the context. The context. I listened to one very famous preacher. He's now passed, but his, his radio broadcasts are still heard on this station. Pastor McGee. He was speaking about this Sermon on the Mount. And he said, the Sermon on the Mount is not for you today. The Sermon on the Mount is for the thousand-year millennium after Christ establishes his kingdom. And then we'll all live in in accordance with this Sermon on the Mount. I think he's wrong. I know he's wrong. I want you to see the context. He was looking at the context and he was not understanding that this transition into heavenly living, into being totally close to God, that transition has to happen now, not in the millennium. We come... And yes, it says, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Well, if you're living in the world and you don't really need God, and please, would you be honest with me? Do you really need God? And if you say yes, What do you need God for? Most of you listening have your lives pretty well set up. You have your job, you have your car, or some form of transportation, metro. You have groceries, a roof over your head. 
you don't live in very much crisis because everything's taken care of. You have medical insurance. You have everything you need, basically. And then you cope with the normal problems of every human person. Well, if this is your life and you use Christianity to comfort your heart in that life and you use the principles of heaven to live by as much as you can in this life. According to the context of the scripture, you're still a pagan. A Christian is one who no longer has to worry about what they're going to eat or drink, but instead they take this to Jesus. They seek first his kingdom, which is his royal authority over their life. It's not a geographic kingdom. Right now, the kingdom of God is among us. It's in us, and it is the royal authority of God being exercised over us. And seek his righteousness, his innocence. We find in scripture that righteousness leads to holiness. And without holiness, no man will see the Lord. What I'm trying to get at today, and I'm, I apologize, I, I feel totally inadequate to even begin to try to talk about this. But there is a transition that has to occur in a man or woman's life so that they no longer live like the pagans live and worry about the things that pagans worry about but instead their focus is upon Jesus and walking humbly with him and loving him with all of our hearts, getting close to God. Now, the question comes, if I begin to try to trust Jesus, what will happen to me? Well, the command is that as true disciples of Jesus, we do exactly what he tells us to do by the Spirit and by the Scriptures. The Logos, the written word, and the Rhema, the breathed word of God that comes by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. We're corrected by the Spirit. We're directed by the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit of the living God. As we get close to the living God, we are sanctified. We are made holy. But as we live in the world and are part of the whole world system, we have to go after what the pagans go after or we'll die. But if we transition into the kingdom of Jesus, and he's in us and we're in him, then the first command is that we're to be a fisher of men. We're to be a fisher of men. We're to be about the work of the kingdom of God. Let me read that for you. I'm going to turn over here to the 17th chapter of of John. Let me read this. Chapter 17, verse 18. This is the prayer of Jesus. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So Jesus' intention was that we should be sent into the world even as he was sent into the world 
to do the same things that he did in the world. The problem is, I can't do that yet. Why? Because I don't have that full baptism. I come and preach the word on the radio, and many of you are convicted, and your lives have been transformed and changed, and many of you even found Jesus and now rejoice in him. But unfortunately, the culture of today in America has been such that it's been a very difficult process to transition out of the world and into Jesus. And that's the transition we're called to make out of the world and into Jesus, not leaving the world, but sent into the world now to do what Jesus did in the world. And what did he do? He preached the word. He shared the gospel. He shared the good news. He called people to repent. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He operated under the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's nothing we can't do that God can do. In other words, whatever God can do, we can do as he dwells in us, and by faith we walk in that. But that's not our current experience. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In other words, there's a place for us in these end times There is a place for us in the heart of God with such intimacy and such closeness beyond anything we've imagined. He loves us more than we can imagine. And he calls us into that place. And as we go out, thrust ourselves into the world, establish our own kingdom, do what we want to do, go here, go there, start this job, start this business, establish this relationship all in our own power and in our own strength. Then those who call themselves Christians, God comes and disciplines. And everything crashes. And we have great sorrow in our hearts. And we don't walk in the joy of the Lord because the peace is gone. Because God has had to bring discipline on our lives because we're out there doing our own deal and establishing our own reality. For many years I talked about this. And I talked about it in this way. I said, the Lord will give me direction to do something. I will do it, and then it's as though he goes on vacation. He's gone. His presence seems to be gone. And I puzzled over this for many years. Why is this so? Is this just a way of God? And I've now come clearly to the answer, no, that's not the way of God. That's the way of darkness in my own soul. In other words, as Jesus gives me instructions, start preaching on the radio. Open this church, National Prayer Chapel. Do this, go see this person. As I've obeyed what the Lord has told me, 
The problem is I have then had add-ons. I have added to that what I believed I needed to do to make this a successful venture. Because after all, what our hearts want more than anything else is often success, numbers, growth. So we can say, I'm making progress. But that's not God. That's not the way Jesus operates. Jesus wants intimacy with us. He wants us to be close to him. He wants us to recognize that we should only do what he tells us to do and then wait on him. Read the scriptures. Pray. Someone sees a problem in the family and immediately they go after it full full bore or they see a problem at work and they go after it full bore i know what's right you've got to straighten this out now well no who am i who are you arrogant before god no instead we begin to pray and we wait for directions from the Lord for how to handle this situation. We wait on the Lord, how do I speak to this person? What do you want to say to them, Lord? Let me be a mouthpiece. Let me speak what you want me to speak. And not speak anything until we're clear about what he wants us to speak. And then not say any more than he gives us to say. What I'm trying to describe today is following Jesus, getting close to God. Getting close to God. Now, what do I do about the job? Well, I go there in the name of the Lord. I don't quit because that's where I am now and I wait there. The Lord may not want me in that job, and he'll make the transition as he's ready to make that transition, as he sees that I'm ready to make that transition. So I go, and I am a servant in that place. I have no sense of entitlement. I am not there to correct everybody. I am there to serve Jesus, to love men and women, and to bring them to Jesus. The greatest problem we face in what I'm describing today is the arrogance that all of us grew up with in our hearts. The sense of entitlement that is so dominant in our culture. Everybody owes me something. You go to the restaurant, you want to buy dinner or lunch and with arrogance you tell the person this is what I want it would be quite a change if you said please may I have this hamburger please may I have this pot stew please may I have this salad instead of I'll have what who are we to speak to another person 
as though they are servant. We are called to be the servant. I see people go into a restaurant and they don't even know the server's name. They don't know who the people are. They don't know the name of the person at the dry cleaners. They don't know the name of whoever they deal with because they're there to serve you, right? Wrong. We're there to speak kindly to them and as it's appropriate and the Holy Spirit wants us to, to speak to them in the name of Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit will move and will begin to draw their soul. See, this sense of entitlement means I'm owed something. You owe me. No, I don't owe you. I don't owe anybody but Jesus. And no one owes me anything but Jesus. See, when I when I begin to make this transition, it's as it's found in Matthew, the seventh chapter, verse 24. There are everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Have you put the words that I've spoken today into practice in your life? Or are you walking around arrogantly with a sense of entitlement, spewing foolishness from your mouth, foul jokes, foul language, looking for what you can get like some kind of animal, grabbing and growling, consuming people and things and stuff, entertainment, darkness or are you walking carefully through this earth recognizing that this is not your home that this is not your place but temporarily that your home is in heaven my home is heaven it's not here I'm an alien and a stranger in this land. I'm just going through to the promised land. This is a desert place for me. This is not my home. So this transition has to be made so that the world is no longer my home. It's not my place. I don't walk arrogantly in this world. I don't walk with a sense of entitlement. I'm not here to grab and growl and get what I can get. I'm not here to cause trouble for other people. I'm not here to 
exert my supremacy. I'm here to humbly serve and follow. All the way from my wife, where I don't demand from her that she serve me. Instead, I find every way possible to serve her. If that means making the bed in the morning, I make the bed. If it means washing the dishes, I wash the dishes. If it means cleaning her car up, filling the gas tank, then that's what I do. I'm not talking about impractical things here. I'm, I'm speaking very practically. And if you're at work and you see that something has been left undone and you can do that, then do it. Cover for other people. Take care that what you do is with a servant heart and a humble spirit because you're not a part of this world anymore. You've transitioned into Jesus. We've got to get close to Jesus. We've got to stop walking through this world as though we owned it or owned a piece of it. We're not landowners in this world. It already all belongs to God. We're called to walk humbly here, to walk gently through this land, to be bold in Jesus, and to call men and women at the moving of the Spirit to leave their life of sin and to leave their life of arrogance and come to Jesus. This passage of Scripture is so powerful in John the 15th chapter. I'm the true vine. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He's talking here about men and women. He's talking about people who are a part of church, who claim they're Christians, but they bear no fruit for the kingdom of God. They don't bear the fruit of the Spirit, and they don't win people to the kingdom of heaven. Lives are not transformed by their ministry, by their, by their life. Jesus is saying, every branch in me, so they're a part of the church, that bears no fruit, he's going to cut it off. And it's going to wither. He says to the disciples, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. In other words, don't go back to the world. Don't go dwell in the world and think and act like the world in all of their arrogance. Come and get close to God. Get close to Jesus. It says, No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So the only place where we can please God and what he's asking of us is that we get close to him. 
that we read the scripture, that we pray, that we meditate, that we obey what he tells us to do. Some of you have such busy lives. You're, you're going here and there constantly. You have no time for prayer. You have no time for scripture. You've got to make the money. You've got to go build this kingdom or that kingdom. Wrong. You're part of the world. And in the end, you'll bear no fruit for Jesus. And you'll be cut off. And you'll be burned. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And again, the fruit is the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of winning souls to Jesus. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Second time he said this. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is the transition has been made into Jesus and in Jesus he answers prayer. Some of you have prayed and prayed and prayed. And there's been no answer to your prayer because you have not been in Jesus. You've been in the world. The attitudes of the world, the arrogance of the world, the busyness of the world. Isn't it time to come close to Jesus? To come close to Jesus. To be filled by the Spirit. He's called you to separate yourself from the world, the flesh, and the devil. He's called you to come out. He loves you. But you can't be productive for the kingdom of God so long as you dwell in the world where you have to worry about everything the pagans have to worry about. You're constantly in crisis or you're comfortable and lukewarm and laid back and you've got it made in the shade. You can't do anything for Jesus in that place. There are preachers who are in that place, and they preach informative, strategic sermons on Sunday, but they're all humanistic. They don't draw your heart to Jesus. They don't cause you to weep. Some pastors now are even showing clips of movies and television programs before their sermon and they'll they'll draw lessons from that and try to apply some scriptures they're pagan they're pagan you see we've got to leave the world behind we've got to come to Jesus will you come to Jesus today Will you separate yourself out from the world and begin to read his scripture from Genesis through Revelation? Will you begin to take time to pray? I'm not talking about 10 minutes in the morning, grabbing and growling what you can grab and growl and then run for the world and the flesh and the devil. That's not what I'm talking about. It has to be a transition where you hear the word of God. And you make a decision to change your life.
Almighty God. I've spoken all that's in my heart. Would you move now in the people who've listened? And would you rescue them? And bring them fully into the kingdom of God? I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'd love to hear from you. Please write to me. National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now you can also go online, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can find there many messages podcasts, sermons. You'll also find a way to donate online. Would you consider today giving to this ministry that we can remain on the air? We are a faith ministry. We are supported by Jesus as he moves in your heart. I know this has not been an easy message today. I'll be praying for you this afternoon. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy.